Hallo zusammen und herzlich willkommen zur ersten Folge von Swisspreneur. Heute sind wir bei Alain Chouillard in Palo Alto. Ursprünglich ist Alain in Bolligen bei Bern aufgewachsen. Er ist nachher auf Amerika studieren und hat mit seiner Frau im Silicon Valley eine Firma namens Wildfire gegründet. 2012 konnten sie die Firma für 450 Millionen an Google verkaufen. Eine ziemlich verrückte Geschichte. Alain und ich wir kennen uns schon etwas länger. Und wir haben vor ein paar Monaten entschieden, dass wir in der Schweiz etwas für das Unternehmertum machen wollen. Starten wollen wir mit Videointerviews. Und darum freut es mich ganz besonders, ist der Alain mein erster Interviewgast. Ciao Alain. Hoi Chris. Wir äh, sind hier bei dir in Palo Alto. Ähm, es freut mich mega, dass wir das Interview mit dir machen dürfen, oder dass ich das Interview mit dir machen darf. Ähm, wir haben darüber geredet, dass wir unser Gespräch würden auf Englisch machen würden, obwohl wir eigentlich zwei Berner Gielen sind. Sag doch schnell, warum findest du es besser, dass wir uns auf Englisch unterhalten? Ich habe die letzten 20 Jahre in den USA gewohnt und ähm, mein Business-Vokabular und meine Specialty-Vokabulary ist ist ähm, hauptsächlich in Englisch und darum wäre es mir fast, fast lieber, in Englisch das Interview zu machen. Ja, ich glaube auch für unsere Zuschauer, wir haben sicher Leute, die international studieren ja. und so, dann ist es so lässig, wenn es auf Englisch ist, dann könnt ihr das auch anschauen und hören, von dem her. So, let's switch languages let's and I'm try, try to do it in English as good as I can. Sounds good. Um, so we are here in Palo Alto. Palo Alto is known for the Stanford University. We are in a co-working space, a really nice co-working space. Can you tell us a little bit about the place where we are here? Yeah, so, so um, as you know, and maybe some of the audience knows, I left Google last fall. And since I don't have an office anymore, I often come here to work. And it's just a great place. Like there's a lot of Stanford students, there's startups, there's venture capitalists that meet here. And really um, you, you kind of get that startup feel and it's in the heart of Palo Alto. Um, I think the other thing um, to me is it's a very symbolic place because it kind of really stands for disruptive innovation. Um, this used to be uh, the biggest bookshop in Palo Alto and um, And it, it kind of got disrupted, like bookshops got disrupted by the digital revolution. And, uh, and now it's full of startups. So it, it really, it's a symbolic place to me to be here and, and work from here. Okay, maybe you said you were born in Bolligan, I believe. So yes. very close to Bern. I'm from Belp. So uh, yeah, it is a, a different place. Maybe you can really take us back to your roots How was it growing yeah. up in, in, in the suburbs of Bern? Yeah, yeah so I, I grew up in, um, yeah, in Bolligan, as you mentioned, which is about 20 minutes from Bern. I'm coming from a very entrepreneurial family. My dad mm -hmm. is an entrepreneur. My uncle is an entrepreneur. So I grew up, uh, my brother and I, we both grew up with this entrepreneurial mindset in our mind very early on because we really lived through my my dad's business, the ups and downs that he had. And, and um, as a little child, you kind of pick up on a lot of, of these things. So I think for my brother, who's also an entrepreneur in Switzerland, he does um, passenger TV. Mm -hmm. he and I, I think it was probably very clear early on that we also wanted to, to be entrepreneurs at some point because my dad and uncle were both our role models. Mm -hmm. um, What so did your dad do? 
Uh, so he had a, he was a consulting actuary, mm -hmm. and uh, he had a big consulting company based in Bern. And about 20, or yeah, 20 years ago, um, like a big insurance company, Aon Insurance, an American insurance company, bought his company, and and since then he he retired. And then my uncle, he started one of the first green tech companies in Switzerland, and uh, he really build it to a, a really big company. I, I remember I, I did, uh, like I played the piano, I did horseback riding, I was at GGB, which is kind of a, um, an athletics Track club. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, to be honest with you, I was pretty me mediocre at most of these things. And then at some point, um, my, my parents had a house in Verbier, or have a house in Verbier, and, and I, I think in 80, 89, 90, I picked up a snowboard and I immediately got hooked on, on snowboarding. Mm -hmm. I noticed that I progressed really quickly mm -hmm. and it was a lot of fun, obviously. So, so I think that really gave me the focus to, to like, and the passion to, to do well at snowboarding. Um, and and I, I just noticed I progressed really quickly mm -hmm. um, in snowboarding. I started competing in Swiss Cup competitions, started doing really well, then qualified for World Cup competitions, did a lot of photo shoots, and, and that kind of made me more confident um, and, and made me believe in myself. Mm -hmm. And I think for every kid, I think it's really important to have something that you're better than anyone else right. um, to kind of build up your confidence and, and um, develop a passion for something. So, so I think that was kind of when I was a teenager, um, I developed that and, and I think that really helped me to kind of break out of the normal life and, mm -hmm. and um, think, think differently about things, what I did later on. Maybe we can dig in a little bit in your education. You did the gymnasium in Switzerland. Yeah. And then something happened to you, probably. Uh, I just yeah. know that you left for the US. Yes. How did that go and how, what happened to you and yeah. how did you come up with the idea to study abroad? So, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I think it's relatively unusual for Swiss students who finish high school to go elsewhere to study. And, and I think th there were a number of factors. One, um, after high school, I took a year off to snowboard uh, mm -hmm. professionally. So I went all over the world and, and really started noticing that there's like, there's not just Switzerland mm -hmm. and there's other experiences that, that I could have. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of opened my mind um, and made me more amendable to, to kind of go outside of Switzerland. Then I had, um, had a neighbor, uh, Claudio Loderer, uh, he's a finance professor in Bern. Mm -hmm. he, he, um, I think he, he was for a long time at the University of Rochester and he always recommended to my parents and, and me, like you, once you finish high school, you should definitely go to the US. Um, you have a lot more flexibility early on to kind of dabble in a number of different things. You don't need to kind of say like, I'm gonna do medicine, I'm just gonna study medicine. I think mm -hmm. uh, the liberal arts education here in the US gives you a lot more flexibility. And given that I didn't quite know what I wanted to do early on, mm -hmm. um, I think that was kind of a, a really good match for me. 
And then I, I think last but not least, I, I used to have a girlfriend who was American who lived in Switzerland mm -hmm. and her parents and her, they, they always kind of said like, hey, you, you got to consider the US for, for university education. Mm -hmm. And so these three factors really kind of helped me to, to make that decision. So you had the chance to travel for snowboarding. Mm -hmm. What would you generally recommend for young people to travel and see the world? Is this a way how you can like have a similar experience to what you did? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I love to travel. Um, I think I think it teaches you so many different things. It, it like you learn about different cultures, obviously, and I, I think it makes you a more adaptable person. I think in in today's business environment, there's constantly change, and and um, and I think if you're resistant to new things, etc., mm -hmm. it can make it more challenging. I think you learn a lot that you can't learn in the classroom, and um, and so yeah, I, th I think that's that's one thing um, you can definitely learn from just maybe taking a year off after high school or university and and just um, do something different than just going straight to. To your job. University, yes. Yeah. Maybe you can fill us a little bit in, like, where did you go for studying, and why did you go there, and maybe also a little bit, what classes did you pick, or was it like, uh, was it like random, or did you like really focus already on picking the classes? Yeah. So um, I went to McAllister College, which which is a small liberal arts school in Minnesota, and um, and so I I think how I went about finding the right colleges was fairly naive. Um, my, the, the parents of my ex-girlfriend mm -hmm. went to McAllister yeah. and they really talked very highly of the school and, and so I basically applied there, mm -hmm. got in and said like, okay, I'll go. But I, I, I didn't visit the school mm -hmm. in advance, so when I arrived in Minnesota, it was completely flat. It was cold in the, win in the winter. And, and so it was definitely a culture shock coming from Switzerland, but it was a great school. It was 1,600 students, mm -hmm. very small very classrooms, small. like 20 students in a classroom. You got a very personal treatment from the professors. Mm -hmm. And um, the professors were not there to publish papers. They were there to, to teach, teach wow. students. And so, mm -hmm. so I think I, I really enjoyed a wonderful education. McAllister is a good school. I think it's in the top 15 colleges in the US. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think the other good thing was that there were a lot of other international students. I think almost 30, 40% of um, students were international from all over the world. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think Switzerland, at least at the time I grew up in Switzerland, it was relatively insular. Mm -hmm. um, right. So kind of getting that ex exposure from people from Africa, from Latin America, from Asia, was just really um, great to, to just interact with them and learn from them. So, mm -hmm. so I think that was, that was really cool. How did it go on? Like, or maybe like what classes as a recommendation yeah, yeah. did you pick and, and what would you do again? And maybe what would you do completely yeah. different? Yeah, I majored in economics and have had a minor in mathematics. Mm -hmm. And then besides that, I took art classes, I took history classes, I took English classes. And, and you really get kind of a, a very holistic education besides mm -hmm. having your major. Mm -hmm. So that, that I really enjoyed that. And, and um, my professor like advised me to really 
craft a resume that stood out of the crowd. And okay. um, I had an internship at Merrill Lynch in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I had all the standard stuff plus a few things that really stood out. Mm -hmm. And and I think I probably after these interviews with these investment banks, I stood out as the snowboarder that that can also do finance. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so yeah, <laughs> people took a chance and. Um, and I got the job, which which was really exciting. Did you get a job right away, or did you have to deal with rejection? Um, I got a few rejections. I got a few job offers, and and then um, Solomon at the time was was really one of the top banks on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to go go with them, and and um, I had a great experience. So I think I, I think. Um, Although I wasn't, I didn't want to do finance for all my life. It was a great business experience right out of college. I really learned a lot about finance. About um, during that time, it was in 1999 to 2001. I was on Wall Street. It was exactly during the happened. first internet boom. <laughs> right. so I, I saw a lot of um, internet startups wanted to up. go public, and yeah. investment banks helped them to go public. So. I interacted with a lot of these tech companies and, mm -hmm. and um, really gave me a flavor from, from the other side, um, how to value companies like that mm -hmm. and, and um, how to, to help them go public. Um, and then in 2001, everything came crashing still, down. Still there? Still, still at Solomon. And it was pretty, how, how, it was how, pretty how, funny how, because... How was that? Yeah, okay. it, was, it was a very interesting environment because... Um, you know, like in 1999 to 2000, mm -hmm. like the, it was booming like crazy, and these investment banks were actually losing a lot of mm -hmm. talent to startups, and and so um, they they gave us a lot of perks like fresh fruit and like a lounge. They created a lounge for all the analysts, and then you you kind of saw the next year when everything came crashing down. The fruit became like. <laughs> Like stood for a week and the, they shut down the lounge and and so it was pretty interesting to kind of see how quickly what it changed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I, I think after two years, if you work for two years at an investment bank in New York, you work crazy hours, like hundred hundred hours a week, and you really get a boot camp in finance and business. Mm -hmm. And after two years, I, I knew that was not what I wanted to do. I wasn't mm -hmm. passionate about finance, mm -hmm. and so I, I said like. It's time to move on. When and did you When did you move on? Like, do you remember like what time that was? Yeah, I left just before 9/11. I think it was July or August okay. of 2001. Were you actually working downtown in Manhattan? So you I, were I close. Was, I was working. At, I think it was Seven World Trade Center. It was the the brown building? Like it was not the main the World Trade Center, but it was um, a building just right next to uh, World Trade Center, and that. That building actually also collapsed. Yeah, lucky you. So um, yeah, I, I was pretty lucky. Where, where um, did you go then? So then, um, so my wife, my now wife, uh, was working at another investment bank called Morgan Stanley, and she, she was feeling similarly like mm -hmm. we weren't passionate about what we were doing, and so we really kind of took a step back and said like, okay, what are we passionate about? And and we very quickly figured out we love to travel, had the action sports background. My wife loves to snowboard and surf and do all these adventure sports too. And then we said like, hey, why don't we, 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 we had a friend in Whistler who was running a snowboard camp and mountain bike camp for teenagers. 
Um, and then we kind of figured out like there's a lot of like young corporate people that would love to that to do active adventure vacations, but don't want to go to a kids camp. So. Um, mm -hmm. So we said like, hey, why don't we start an instructional adventure sports uh, vacation company that offers people to travel through an exotic country and at the same time learn an, an adventure sports. And we said like New Zealand, where my wife is from, is probably the, one of a, a great location great, to get great started. Destination, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, from one day to another, we kind of said like, okay, let's quit our jobs. Um, and, and moved to New Zealand. So, um, so, so little did we know, like 9-11 happened and it's probably the, the worst time to start a travel company. company. Yeah. But, but I think one, one thing that was in favor of us was that New Zealand was kind of considered to be a safe country. And, mm -hmm. um, and so we launched a website and got, got enough like sign-ups mm -hmm. to participate in our trips that we were able to run a trip and mm -hmm. people loved what we were offering and, and it basically grew organically from there. So, um, so, so it that's got recommendations and exactly. other people came. Exactly, so it was a lot of word of mouth. We did a lot of online marketing as well. Okay. Um, and, uh, and the company, we started with one trip in the South Island of New Zealand where we, um, we traveled from Christchurch down to Queenstown. Uh, visiting a number of different ski resorts and mm -hmm. teaching people how to snowboard and ski. And that was such a success that we did it again next, the, the following year and people immediately started asking, hey, such an awesome trip. Could you do a trip elsewhere, maybe in a different sport? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we listened to our customers and, and basically started growing an adventure travel network all over the world. And I think the company now um, offers 33 trips all over the world mm -hmm. um, in various different countries, except Antarctica. So. <laughs> nice. And um, and how, how like starting a business like that was your first. Actually, I just learned you had already a business with your wife before yep. Wildfire. Yeah. Um, starting a business with someone you are so well connected and you spend so much time. How how was that? Was that challenging or? Yeah. So uh, yeah, a, lo a lot of people tell us like, oh, I could never work with my wife or my husband. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really think it totally depends. I have, th there's founding teams, very successful husband, wife founding teams, but it really depends. I think you need to kind of test it out a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, I had friends where it just didn't work. We even came to a divorce in wow. <laughs> certain cases. So. So I think it's, it's not easy, but, but I think in our case it works well because I think we have very complementary skills and, um, and I, I can completely rely on her doing a good job and vice versa. I think if I, if I would go and, and find some random co-founder, I don't have a history and, yeah. and you, you don't know, is it, is it going to work well during mm -hmm. tough times or not? And, and I think we've proven that over and over again mm -hmm. that, it, that it works well. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I couldn't imagine working with any other co-founder than, than with her. I think she's, she's a fantastic person and, and um, yeah, who knows, we might do something else at some point. That's good to hear. Can you maybe tell us in which ways you are similar to your wife, that it works that great, yeah. and in which ways you are different, and yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. advantage. Yeah. So, so I think um, 
I think we both like the strategic part of, of, of a business to kind of flesh out where we want to take the business, how we want to position the business. And, and uh, I think that's good. I think if she would just do that or I would just do that, I think that then I think the risk of not being aligned is, is, is a lot higher. So I think we, like any strategic decision, I think we, we often both need, want to approve and, and sometimes that takes more discussion than, yeah, sometimes that takes more discussion. And, um, and then I think when it comes to developing a product, kind of the design, the marketing, etc. I think that's probably more the engineering side, that's more my area. Mm -hmm. And then um, she's, she's also involved in marketing and sales and in, in basically um, kind of leading the entire organization. That's more her thing. Growing. So, yes. So, so I think that's, um, that's kind of how we divide up roles. But and somehow you s decided, both of you decided to stop what you were doing at that point of time, to stop with your adventure company and to do something else. Yeah, so I, I think that it, it was kind of a transition phase. We, like when, when our travel company grew, um, it became more complex to manage. Um, we had trips, all, started having trips all over the world like managing bookings became more challenging, um, making sure the people in the different locations did a great job in terms of customer service. So I think we, we definitely felt that in terms of management, we had to, to kind of, we, we were fairly, fairly new to things and, and that uh, management education would be beneficial mm -hmm. for both of us. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we had a good team in place that was able to run the travel business. And we, we both said like, hey, let's try to, to apply for, for some business schools here in the US. Mm -hmm. And um, I got into Stanford, my wife got into HBS. And, um, and while we were doing our, our MBAs at these schools, uh, we had the, the person, the, the basically the executive director run the travel company. Mm -hmm. And we were still heavily involved while we were mm -hmm. doing the MBA, but we were able to take a little bit of a step back uh, from the operational side. Mm -hmm. So I think that worked well. Um, and uh, I, I think it, it's been, I, I think it was very transformative for both of us. I think for me, I, um, I came to Stanford, I was obviously very interested in entrepreneurship, but I was um, more resistant to getting involved in tech. Um, I, I was convinced that after Stanford, I would either continue with a travel company or I would do another traditional business. Um, but, but being here for two years, it completely changed my mind. Like it, it, it was, was so fascinating to be at Stanford. It's, it's kind of the, the epicenter of, of technology and innovation and, and, um, I was, I was so impressed how, you know, like a few engineers can get together, like write an application and get immediate scale and, and impact positively millions of people. So, so I think that had a huge impact on me. And like probably after six months, I was completely hooked on, on the tech, in the tech world. Yeah. I think it was also really interesting Stanford brings in because we're in the in the heart of Silicon Valley brings in so interesting speakers from we had like people 
like Reid Hoffman or like from LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Peter Thiel, who started mm -hmm. PayPal. So, uh, so I think like there's some incredible people at Stanford that come as guest lecturers and really inspire you. So they kind of, you, you discuss theory with the professors, but then you have like these executives or founders that come in and bring the real world into the classroom. And that's just been fascinating. And yeah, as I said, I got completely hooked on tech. And I think today I, I couldn't imagine to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Well, we have been talking about um, companies and founding companies, your travel company. There was a point in your life when you had the, the idea of wildfire. Um, maybe you can tell us like really, really the early days. How did you come about with this idea? Where were you at that point of time? And how did that all yeah. started? So I, I think let me start with Access Trips. Like we, with Access Trips, we were a travel company. And, and um, if you're in travel, you need to be a pro at online marketing. Um, and, and so we, we did a lot of on, traditional online marketing, search engine optimization, um, paying Google ads, et cetera. Um, so, so I think that was, that was kind of the, the background. And then like when I was, was in um, business school, I, um, I had a good friend who, who went after business school, he went to Facebook and mm -hmm. um, worked at, or he's still at Facebook. Um, and I moved to Boston um, to, to be with my wife. She was finishing up the last year at HBS. And, um, and I remember we were, one weekend we traveled back to, um, to Menlo Park, to, to California, to, to visit friends. And, and I was subletting my apartment to my friend who was working on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he basically said, hey, um, I know you have this online travel company called Access Trips. And, you, you might want to consider um, a product that we're launching soon called Fan Pages, Facebook Fan Pages. <laughs> and uh, for your travel company, you might mm -hmm. want to kind of see what you can do in terms of marketing. Mm -hmm. and, and I immediately kind of jumped at the opportunity and said like, okay, what can we do? And kind of discussed that a little bit with my wife and my friend. And we very quickly kind of realized we, we could try to run online promotions. We've done that on, on our website. We gave away, we ran sweepstakes and promotion and coupons mm -hmm. um, and gave it away on our website to win a trip. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to do the same thing on Facebook, on our fan page. And I very quickly realized that you had to build an application, a Facebook application to run a promotion. And so we, we quickly hacked something together. It was relatively easy on Facebook. They offered a great platform to build applications. And so we, I, I remember we had that up and running in a couple of weeks and started running these promotions for Access Trips. And, and because um, in those days, these, the viral channels, uh, notifications, uh, were were really not like nowadays Facebook like restricts your your, your viral reach, reach. Yeah. but there like at that time it was the wild west and I, I think we um, we we basically leveraged these these viral channels in a very effective way so uh, we ran promotions and say like hey 
enter for um, a chance to win a trip and if you for every friend you invite to join the promotion too you get another chance so so I think this thing spread like wildfire mm -hmm. and then other companies started noticing we were doing these promotions and um, and I remember there was kayak a, a big meta travel search engine that saw that too and they kind of knocked on our door and a bunch of other travel companies first it was more kind of traveling. on the travel mm -hmm. in the travel industry and as kind of more and more companies started using the app which we gave away for free initially mm -hmm. um, like other like bigger companies started knocking on our door and asked whether they could use the application too and at that point we said like hey there's a business opportunity let's kind of start a, a real company and we called it wildfire so basically just to get that right basically you were inventing wildfire to fulfill your needs you had with yes. your travel so, company so yeah i, I think you that's were a good your point. own customer at the beginning it's a good point i, I think um, it's probably the easiest way to build a product mm -hmm. and uh, and find product market fit very early on yeah. so i think for us it was like we were we, we didn't we weren't venture funded initially and and um and and so if if you're like going really lean mm -hmm. um on on your venture you often don't have a long runway to kind of find product market fit and if you if you go after something where you're your own user i think that's that's kind of the in my mind the fastest way right, to, to actually get it right yes to get mm -hmm. it right absolutely okay. really great and then how did that company develop? So uh, I think at a certain point you felt that you're onto something. Like when big brands are knocking on your door. Yeah. How did you actually, how, when did you realize that, that there is something more to it than just doing yeah. some sweepstakes? Yeah, so um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think we, yeah, we started in 2008 and, and I think at that time we were still fairly early um, in the game. So we, I, I remember I, like fan pages were fairly new and it always takes the business world quite some time to realize certain opportunities, especially large companies. I remember I created the Red Bull Facebook page mm -hmm. and I called up the the brand manager at Red Bull and say like, hey, you guys, like, I ha here's your Facebook page and, and you can run a promotion with our wildfire application. And I remember that the Red Bull guy say like, I'm not interested in, in, in that fan page. <laughs> and that was in 2008. And then um, in the summer of 2009, it really started like kind of this big wave um, mm -hmm. started forming like every company wanted to have a fan page and and um and so i i think we we kind of wrote this wave with with wildfire we were very close to facebook and and i think one of one of the the relationships that helped us a lot was with facebook salespeople. Mm -hmm. um, they they often sold ad campaigns with with to their clients mm -hmm. and then clients often say like what else can we do on facebook and they basically pointed to hey go to wildfire they can run promotions and engaging campaigns and that helped us to really grow the company very quickly so i think my takeaway if i were ever to do a company again um, I, I love companies that are in 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 a 
in a market that really pulls them rather than um, pushing too hard. Yeah, that where you're in a market where you, you need to push your product in the market and it takes a lot of money and effort to actually go to the client. If, if you're in a, in a market where you have a lot of clients that want what, what you have and where the trend, so, so Facebook really kind of paved the way for us. Um, mm -hmm. That was, I, I love companies like that and spaces like that. And I, I think it always happens where there's a big paradigm shift happening and in technology that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, our paradigm shift was like traditional digital marketing moving to social marketing. I think that was a huge wave mm -hmm. um, that, that lasted for a long time. And we, I think we, we started the company and the product maybe a year to nine months early and hit that timing right with mm -hmm. having the product when the customers needed it. Mm -hmm. and, and then I think also when we sold the company, I think it, it was the right time to sell the company. So in my mind, it's a lot about getting that timing right. There's a lot of companies, a lot of brilliant entrepreneurs that are working on products and technologies that are either too early and it takes too long oh. for the market to yeah. really pull them in. Mm -hmm. um, and they often, these startups run out of money. Mm -hmm. And then there's brilliant entrepreneurs that kind of are in too late. Miss the wave. Exactly, miss the wave. And, and I often compare it to surfing. Like you, you can have a pretty mediocre surfboard, but if you catch a big wave, it's going to carry you all the way in. And I, I think it's, gonna, it's, it's very similar uh, with startups. So there is always a little bit luck in that game. Yeah, I think I think there's you could sit in a bay where there are no waves. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> definitely a little bit luck, but but uh, I think um, it's 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 definitely also kind of reading the market right and then like when you hit that wave, wave you, pedaling, pedaling. you you got to you got to put together the right team, you got to be able to scale the team, mm -hmm. you got to be able to scale the product and um, and it's very easy to fall off the surfboard while you hit the a big, the wave. big waves. So. It's, it's, even, it, it's even likelier to yeah. fall off the board if you hit a big Absolutely. wave. How did you manage to actually stand on the board? How, did you, um, how were you able to, to then scale when yeah. the big wave was there? We, we were able to, to build a really great core team, the initial employees shared very similar values like mm -hmm. um, my co-founder and I mm -hmm. and um, and we were able to to kind of um, instill these values in the rest of the team a lot of startups here in the valley they go to a professional um, headhunter to mm -hmm. recruit people um, we we've never been big fans of kind of outsourcing the most important thing in your company the people so um, so we built our own recruiting team very mm -hmm. early on mm -hmm. and given that they were people like us they knew exactly what you were looking what for. we were looking for I think it's also important that you like I think as you kind of grow the company from maybe 50 to 100 people and beyond I think it's it's really important you you find people that are not political. I mm -hmm. think it's it's always right. as you grow the company and you become a bigger company, um, it's often an issue when you're asking questions and the the interviewee like tells a lot about what they have done rather than 
what that what they have done with their team. Mm -hmm. That's often an indicate. That's often a red flag for me. Um, I think you want to have someone that says like, I work with my sales team to like win X deals, or mm -hmm. I've worked with the CEO um, mm -hmm. to to accomplish X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the type of person you want. If you have a person in an interview that says like I did this and I did that, etc. That's often an indication that their their ambition is more for themselves rather than the company. Maybe to take us a step farther, um, you build a company. I read that you had about six employees. 2010, 2012, you were 400. So it was a tremendous ride. Um, so you got closer to shore. You were getting in and what happens then like when you realize we have built something was there any any process that for you for alan took place did you feel anything that happened i mean i i, I think we were never at the stage where we said like oh this is too big for us we want to leave mm -hmm. um I, we loved our team, we loved the company, we loved what we were doing. And I mean, it, it sounds like a cliche, but we were not planning to sell mm -hmm. the company. But then in um, spring 2012, kind of the, the whole social media marketing space went through a big change. Like there were some big acquisitions, but basically three big companies in our space, mm -hmm. of which Wildfire was one of them. Mm -hmm. and, um, and basically within two, three months, our main two competitors were bought up, one by Salesforce mm -hmm. and one by Oracle. And so th at that point, you kind of need to ask yourself as a founder, do I, do, I, like, do I grow further? Do I maybe go for an IPO and become a consolidator myself? Mm -hmm. Or do I partner with Someone a bigger. big entity mm -hmm. um, and kind of accomplish our mission, our vision for um, for wildfire through that bigger entity. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think we talked to a lot of different companies. Um, the, the space was very active at that point. And, um, and to us, given that we had a great team, great culture, it was really important that if we sold the company, we would find a really good home mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. all our all people. people. And, um, and I, I think there was only really one company that was, was that, that we felt every time we met with them, mm -hmm. we said like, good. they're like us. Mm -hmm. They're very really product focused. They're smart people. They were working hard. They were fun and quirky. Um, and, and we're really trying to push the envelope on innovation. And that was mm -hmm. Google. Mm -hmm. so, um, so I think that was an easy decision. Um, mm -hmm. And then, uh, then when it, like things happened really quickly, like we got an email from, from one of the, Corp Dev people at Google to meet with them initially, and then mm -hmm. we met with one of the major executives at Google. I had a conversation with them about Wildfire, um, and then we had a third meeting where we basically got into a conference room, and they made us the offer. And I remember my wife and I we we said like, okay, we're we're ready to sell if we hit. A certain, a certain number, number. Mm -hmm. and that offer came in more than twice that wow. number. Okay. So we, we really had to to 
keep calm. Kind of just keep calm and <laughs> and um, and not not like go crazy in the conference room. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember crazy we after. Yeah. So so we. <laughs> Once they gave us 24 hours to decide and we basically went out on the parking went into our car and we started Going crazy high-fiving and <laughs> it was it was a really special day mm -hmm. so And you already knew when you walked out at conference you you knew that's that's the right time because your competitors got bought so yes. it was uh, the, the game was changing B you had the company offering you something where you said, okay, it's the right company and it's the right amount. And that was the moment when you said. Yeah, and then I, I think with Google, uh, it was like, after meeting a few times with Google, mm -hmm. we really felt like, okay, this is, this is a cool place. We can mm -hmm. take wildfire from here yeah. to up there. Yeah. So, okay. so I think that was, that was kind of the main deciding factor. Um, and then the, the offer, the amount, et cetera, that was, that was awesome, but mm -hmm. that was certainly not the main, yeah. um, the main reason why we sold to Google. Okay, you would have sold for half, but Google paid more. <laughs> That's just how it is sometimes in life. Right. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. I think it's like cultural fit is extremely yeah. important. Mm -hmm. Way more than getting the money. Yes. And maybe as an advice, I don't know. I try to put it in my words. Maybe you can rephrase it. But as an advice you wouldn't aim too hard as a startup to do an exit, right? The exit no, has no. to come naturally to you from I outside, so, yes. ideally. I mean, I think if you're building a startup for an exit, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you really need to be passionate about it and obsessed with like the idea, with kind of envisioning how you can change how how consumers or how businesses interact mm -hmm. and uh, how, how much impact you can have mm -hmm. with with your um, with your product so so I think it, yeah I, I say if, if you just do it for the exit don't don't like go and work for a corporate okay. entity maybe uh, you can tell us a little bit how that felt after the acquisition working then for Google how did that feel for you? Was it a big change or did almost everything stay the same? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I, so very quickly, we were 400 people and we were a bit north of the Google campus and mm -hmm. we're based in Redwood Shores. Mm -hmm. and, and so very quickly they moved us down to Mountain View, which is where the headquarters is of Google. And they basically gave us a whole building um, so the whole wild, it was basically wildfire on the Google campus. And um, we initially thought like, okay, one of the main guys at Google would tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. But we very quickly figured out, hey, we're, it's up to us to kind of figure out like what we want to do with wildfire. And I think that's, that's what happens with, with all Google products. I think they hire brilliant people and rely on them to figure out where they want to take the product. So mm -hmm. we had complete autonomy to, to figure out what we wanted to do with Wildfire, the integration. So I think in the first step, we, we started to get to know a lot of the Google product teams and, and kind of try to figure out how we could best integrate the product. And then probably after six to nine months, we started slowly but surely integrating the team. We integrated the Salesforce and 
um, services team of Wildfire into the Google Salesforce. We uh, integrated parts of the product um, into the DoubleClick stack, which is the ads mm -hmm. platform. And we, we decided to shut down certain things, which is mm -hmm. um, just natural, um, a natural thing Focusing to do. Exactly. Again. And then after about 18 months, we were done with the integration. And I took over the Google My Business product, mm -hmm. which is kind of the, the Google's locals product mm -hmm. in the Google Maps team. And my wife took over Google Express, which is uh, uh, a delivery service that Google offers in certain cities in the US. Mm -hmm. And then you stayed at Google for another 18 months. Stayed for another 18 months. So overall, we were three years. And, and um, yeah, and then after three years, we're done with our vesting. And, and um, I think we, we've worked incredibly hard. Even, like, even once we were at Google, it, it was a lot of work. and we. We took it very serious. We didn't just slack off. We, we took it very serious because um, we felt responsible for all, all our people and we wanted to do a good job. So um, it was a lot of work before we got acquired and then after we got acquired. And so we said like, hey, why, why don't we take a break? And, mm -hmm. and um, that's what we're doing now. So we're taking right. a year off to, to travel, to be with friends and family and and try to be inspired by, by the next idea. I would like to go back for a last time to that metaphor of surfing. Um, for me, as an entrepreneur, and probably for a lot of entrepreneurs, it would be great if you could maybe give us an advice, maybe not, maybe, maybe there is no advice on that, but if you realize that you might be riding a smaller wave, when do you know it's the right time to get off your board and paddle back and wait for a bigger one? Or how long do you stay on a board and hope that the wave might build itself? How patient do you have to be? You need to be able to zoom out and look at kind of the, the macro space and, and see like, is this, is this a good, you need to kind of get up from your surfboard and the higher up you are, you can kind of see like the waves coming and, mm -hmm. and, and so, so I think you, you need to try to do that, do it in a similar way to, to kind of take a step back and say like, okay, what are the major trends and, and, um, and it, is there potential to really have a major paradigm shift happening in that space? And, um, and so I, th I think that's, that's one recommendation. And then I think another thing as a founder is, I think it's always super important to, to set milestones. Um, at Wildfire as well as at Google, we always set quarterly objectives and, and yearly objectives. And, and then um, having some outside advisors or investors holding you accountable for, right. for these and, and looking more objectively. At, at these goals and you know like if you're falling flat mm -hmm. every quarter you know. or every year then then it's maybe worth pulling the plug right. even if, if you if you love what you're doing right. so um, so I think that's that's kind of maybe another kind of an advi Not advice cheating. exactly yeah. exactly because it's as an entrepreneur it's it's very easy to just fall in love with your idea right. and just be kind yeah. of move yeah. the targets a bit exactly yeah that's a very good advice. So um, I would like to talk with you about the Swiss startup ecosystem to maybe get some advice. You, you know Switzerland from a cultural background. You have been traveling back to Switzerland. You still have family in Switzerland. So what do you think about how 
we do in Switzerland about entrepreneurship and how the ecosystem, is there any recommendation that you believe we could do something different or something else? Um, so I, first of all, I, I think I'm really excited about the Swiss startup ecosystem. Um, I think since I left Switzerland 20 years ago, and if I compare it now, mm -hmm. it's just like day and night. I think there's these incubators, there's like Technopark in Zurich, there's all these co-working spaces all over Switzerland, and I think Zurich and um, uh, the Canton de Vaux is, is really pushing the envelopes, and I think that's mainly due to the technical universities that they right, have. Yeah. So I think um, things are really starting to pick up, and and um, and I'm 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 talking to a lot of Swiss entrepreneurs. Um, there's a lot of people that visit me here, and whenever I go to Switzerland, I'm talking to a lot of people, and there seems to be kind of momentum building, and and I think that's a great thing. I think on the other hand, um, there's I. Like what I've heard, there's still way too much bureaucracy in setting up a company here in the US. You can do that with a few clicks online. In Switzerland, um, it takes forever to create a bank account. And, and it's, it's just too much bureaucracy that I think startups should be given more of a, like more freedom, more of a freedom yeah. to, to kind of just to get move. started. And then, um, so, so I think that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing, is uh, I think some of the the, the restrictions. If you if you're running a startup, you 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 gotta get the best talent, and Switzerland certainly produces some mm -hmm. really great talent. But there's talent that you need to source from elsewhere, and I've also heard there's way too much uh, red tape on like getting people from. Eastern Europe from elsewhere mm -hmm. into Switzerland and and that's just like that just hurts the the ecosystem yeah. so I think um, I think Switzerland can do obviously a lot more but but um, I, I really like the way the way we're going the Swiss culture I would say is not necessarily um, well suited for a startup environment people I, I think in Swiss culture uh, it's people basically are expected to, after university to join a big company and like climb the ladder and joining a startup especially if you fail with your startup is still looked as kind of a failure and a black mark on your resume whereas here in Silicon Valley if you join a startup it's um, and and it fails mm -hmm. then you you really are looked at as having the courage to to kind of right. take a take a step into the void and mm -hmm. and take a risk um, and, and and you're looked at as having a great learning experience mm -hmm. whereas, it's almost the opposite right yes yeah. exactly I had, I had a vc here who told me when i was uh, pitching to him at tiso he told me what's that's your first startup i was like I was confident about it and I said, hey, that's my first startup. And yeah, he said, yeah. oh, it's your first startup? I'm not interested. I don't yes. want to pay for your first mistakes. Yes. So actually, like, it's, it's good to, to, to fail because you learn so much failing. Yeah. That's what you're aiming to, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think it's okay to fail. It's obviously better to succeed. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, but I, I think it's, it's not looked as kind of... It, it doesn't reduce your chance, chances to go back into 
the corporate world, um, mm -hmm. it's all almost looked as positive, a positive thing mm -hmm. because you, you're going to come back as a, a person with more experiences. Right. Um, so so mm. I think that's, that's kind of another thing that's missing. And, and I think that's one, for me, that's one objective of our Swisspreneur project mm -hmm. is to kind of highlight successful Swiss entrepreneurs and, and showcase their successes and their failures, their challenges, mm -hmm. and hopefully inspire the next generation of Swiss entrepreneurs to kind of say like, hey, just do it, take the risk and, and, and just take that step and, and try to either do a company on your own or if you're in a corporate job, you might want to consider like joining a startup that's, that's based in Switzerland. So, so I think that's, that's what I'm hoping to kind of inspire people um, that that are thinking about it but they're they're still a bit afraid or have fear of of um, like what if what if it doesn't work well um, mm -hmm. so so I think that's 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 kind of one of the objectives you went through quite tough times sometimes you had to perform when you were a snowboarder when you were at Wall Street with your two startups so and then being at Google in a highly competitive environment, are there any advices or any hacks you 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 uh, added to your daily routine that you maybe can share with us? So, I mean, I, I think looking at all these experiences where I had to kind of be in a highly performant environment, I I, I think having a good balance um, is important. I think like feeling healthy and fit um, that's really important to me and mm -hmm. and I, I think I was more successful at times and at other times I was less successful at kind of being healthy um, and then I, I think the so, so for example right now I like every morning I get up and and I either do Bikram yoga which is the yoga that um, where you're in kind of 40 40 degrees Celsius room and mm -hmm. you do I think 26 yoga moves mm -hmm. and it kicks my butt every time I do okay. it or I go to CrossFit mm -hmm. which is another kind of high intensity workout mm -hmm. yeah. so I think that that really kind of keeps me fit and makes me feel good about mm -hmm. myself mm -hmm. and um, and then I, I think the other thing that um, that helps me um, kind of perform well and, and be happy with myself is to regularly try to, to get into the zone. Um, I think at when I was snowboarding, like riding the half pipe, I, I think you, you just need to be in the zone to kind mm -hmm. of pull up these tricks mm -hmm. and be in the flow. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you're, um, when I was in investment banking, crunching these financial models, you also just need to be in the zone, mm -hmm. um, doing the startup, like developing the product, etc. I, I often pull like all-nighters, and I, I was able to have my most productive times when I was kind of really in the zone and time just flies. You, 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 you think like, oh, before it was just midnight, now it's six o'clock in the morning. So, uh -huh. so I think um, kind of creating space like on a regular basis where you can be in the zone um, really 
helps me to be productive. Mm -hmm. I think it also helps me to be happy about myself because I feel productive and mm -hmm. feel that I've achieved something. So, so I think that's, um, that's important and it's not always easy like during startup life. You, um, you have so many distractions and there's so many things going on and right. especially as a founder, you, um, it's just so easily to be kind of all over the place and, and not have, have that space for yourself. Maybe, maybe catching on to that zone, um, do you have any advice for me how I can be that focused or how do you, how do you get there actually? Like, I think it's a process. It is not that you switch on a button and say, now I'm in the zone. Like how, how, how could someone who has maybe troubles to actually get there being so focused, what would you recommend to someone? I mean, I, I think it, it, takes, it takes a lot of self-discipline to, um, to develop kind of a routine where it can be in the zone and and I think everyone's similar like you need to kind of figure out when what time of the day do you work best is it in the morning is it late at night or is it throughout the day mm -hmm. I think that's different for it for everyone I've like through through the stages of my life I've learned to like during wildfires early days, I was a night person. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm more a morning person. It, it just like, it depends. And, and I think for everyone, it's, it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it, it takes a lot of self-discipline to kind of say like, okay, yeah. I'm gonna carve out every week or every day mm -hmm. or every two days, some, some time, time. To, to really focus mm -hmm. on, on something. Um, Switching and I, off emails, exactly, phones, really exactly. being for, for... Yes. Is there anything you would like to add? Is there anything we haven't talked about it or something you feel it's really important for the audience back in Switzerland? Um, I mean, there's a lot of like thoughts, but I, I think probably the most important one is to kind of go back to the Swiss culture and, and like the people seem to be more risk averse than here. and, and I think my advice to people in Switzerland is that like you, like we have most people have a top education in Switzerland and and um, like we live a really high like quality of life and and um, I, I think what's what do you have to lose if you mm -hmm. take a step into the startup world and either start your own company or join a startup I think um, what do you have to lose I, I think just my advice is just do it and if mm -hmm. it doesn't work out you'll for sure get a, a, a job um, mm -hmm. at a bigger company so I think that's that's kind of what my advice to the young Swiss people who are kind of on on the fence of whether they should try it or not take the traditional way or try something else at mm -hmm. least for a little while great um, if someone would like to get in touch with you what's what's the best way um, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to grab coffee with people uh, here in Palo Alto. Um, you can email me at alain.schwart at gmail.com or um, I'm on Twitter, although not very active. Twitter handle is Alain Schuart. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Just, just in the interwebs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm on many different channels. So if you're, if you're keen to talk to me, you he will find you. You have a way to, to reach me. Great. So from my side, thank you so much for making that all possible. I think Swisspreneur is a 
great project. You are a great person. I'm very happy that you are so open to share with everyone what you experienced and also talk about the hard times in your life and not just what media always tries to tell us or tries to, to, to show. So I think it's, it's, it has been great working with you and I hope that we can continue as we did and do many episodes with many interesting people. Thanks so much. For Thank you, Chris. It's great to have you as a partner. Thank you. Mm -hmm.